0: If you would like to take your Bibles and turn to 3 John, the third epistle of John. And there's only one chapter, so we'll turn to chapter 1. And I think you'll notice that this message dovetails almost perfectly with the message that Pastor Burggraff gave this morning. And... um, uh, That was not coordinated. I did not know what he was going to be preaching on this morning. And uh, as he was preaching, I was thinking, my word, that just lays out the whole foundation for what we're going to look at this evening. Um, But with two distinct differences. Uh, First of all, um, the emphasis on the message tonight, I think, will be a little bit more practical. This morning, if you weren't here, he was talking about supporting missionaries, especially from a financial viewpoint. But he was talking about fellowshipping with missionaries in the sense of supporting in that way. And, uh, but tonight we're going to be looking at kind of the same topic, but, uh, I think with a little bit more of a practical emphasis and the other significant difference is I'll be preaching a lot shorter than he does. So, um, but the reason for that is because there's food waiting for us. So (laughs) we have a reason for it. All right. So if you've got there, third John, third epistle of John, and we're going to read the first eight verses. All right. Starting in verse one. The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, thou doest faithfully... Whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well, because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. Tonight, we're going to be looking especially at verses 5 to 8, as it pertains again to this idea of being fellow helpers to the truth. Um, While we were in France, there was a common expression that we heard very often by French people, uh, and they would say, la santé, c'est tout. And it means, if you've got good health, then you've got everything. And uh, while not to diminish the importance of good health, and we're all thankful when we do enjoy good health, and it certainly is a blessing even as John indicates here, it's clearly not as important as our spiritual health, which John also underscores in the first couple of verses. John, in fact, rejoices in the fact that this particular church that he was addressing was in good spiritual health, indicated by the fact that they remained firmly grounded in the truth as he says in verse number three and it's true as a pastor there's nothing more rewarding nothing more uh, encouraging than to minister to a body of believers who um, seek to know God's truth who are growing in God's truth who are proclaiming God's truth and truly truly it is a blessing it is a great blessing to us to minister into this church, because this church uh, is indeed grounded on the truth of God's Word. But then we get to verse number 5 of the text, and it kind of seems like John changes gears, or he changes subjects. But in reality, I believe verse 5 is very much an extension of the first four verses. In that, one of the signs of a church that walks in truth, one of the signs of a church that is spiritually healthy, is how they treat their missionaries. And in fact, in verse number 5, when he says, Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren to strangers, uh, it could also be translated literally, you do faithfully whatever you work at for the brethren. And the brethren here is referring to the brethren who are passing through, these itinerant preachers at that day, what we would call Missionaries. Who at times passed through the city where this church was located, and how this church was to receive and support them. And so John says, "You do faithfully whatever you work at for the brethren." And so, friends, that's a challenge for us tonight. Uh, may we take to heart the work of supporting our missionaries. And in this next month, we're going to be having a, a missions emphasis all through the month of March, and then highlighted by our missions conference toward the end of the month. And And we'll have many opportunities to interact with missionaries and be reminded of the work they're engaged in and be reminded of how needful it is that there are folks behind them who are supporting them in their work, who, in fact, are working on their behalf, but behind the lines. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. And so let's look at... uh, There's three major points we'll be looking at in your notes. Uh, First, number one, the nature of this work... The nature of working to support, to help our missionaries. Um, And clearly, it is a work which requires faithfulness. That's what John lays right out in verse number five, okay? So, beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers. And um, the work of supporting missionaries requires faithfulness. That faithfulness, on one hand, is born out of a sense of duty. Faithfulness is born out of a sense of duty. That is now, um, it's true that when Pastor Berger was talking this morning about financial giving, um, obviously each one is, is uh, to be led of the Lord and what you give, and there's no like set amount, there's no requirement. But the idea of supporting our missionaries, whether it's financially or other ways like we're going to see, should be, should come from a sense of duty. Um, he says in verse number 8, we therefore ought to receive such. He says we ought to receive such. And the verb that he uses there when he says ought to receive them, it's the verb that means to owe or to be bound or to be a debtor. It's the same word that Paul uses in Romans 1 when he says, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and and to the barbarians. That's the same word he uses there. Okay, I'm a debtor. We're, we're, we're in debt to these missionaries because they're doing something that we're perhaps not able to do. I don't have the opportunity to do. And so we should be alongside of them, helping them in their work. And so we are to receive them into our church, we are to receive them into our homes, we're to receive them into our priorities. The supporting missionaries ought to be among the priorities that we have set, the spiritual goals that we have set for ourselves in our service for the Lord. They are our responsibility. Now, this idea of supporting missionaries and helping them in their work was a practice that we find all throughout the New Testament. Um, it was a common practice, and i 'm just we 're going to go through a couple of verses here. Um, that uh, highlight that fact and uh, we'll start in Romans chapter 15 if you want to turn there in Romans chapter 15 and you'll see that as we go through these verses this was something that was practiced it was something that was asked for sometimes Paul would ask for himself sometimes he would ask for other people that they would uh, contribute to support to missionaries and it was something that was praised but let's look at Romans 15 verse 24 Paul says concerning himself, he says, "Whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you, for I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way thitherward by you, if first I be somewhat filled with your company." And so Paul was expecting that they would help him on his journey. They would give him the, the help that he needed, the support that he needed to continue his work. Let's go on to Romans 16. Verses 1 and 2, now he's going to speak on behalf of someone else, a sister in Christ. And he says in Romans 16, verses 1 and 2, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church was at Centria, that she receive her in the Lord, as becometh saints, and that she assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you, for she hath been a succor of many, and of myself also. And so he asks also for help and support for other. Uh, itinerant ministers, even this dear lady. Um, look at also now at 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Paul, in speaking of his co-worker Timothy, has this to say in 1 Corinthians 16, verses 10 and 11. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 10. Now, if Timotheus come, see that you may, that he may be with you without fear, for he worketh the work of the Lord, as I also do; let no man therefore despise him, but conduct him forth in peace that he may come unto me, for I look for him with the brethren. So again, they were supposed to help him on his way, help him with his ministry, help him on his journey. Uh, and yet another passage in Titus chapter three, verse thirteen, Titus chapter three, verse 13, Titus three thirteen. He says, "Bring Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their journey diligently, that nothing be wanting unto them." All right. So, all through the New Testament, we find this repeated idea, um, this practice, this ongoing practice of bringing the support that was needed in different forms to help these missionaries and these traveling uh, ministers of the gospel uh, on their way and in their ministries, and so. Again, faithfulness is necessary for this work. It should be born out of a sense of duty. But also, this faithfulness should be displayed with no limitations. The faithfulness that we show in this work for our missionaries should be shown without any limitations. Know what I mean by that? Um, First of all, there's no limitation in time. As we support our missionaries. That this isn't just like a one-time thing. You know, our missionaries come, we take a love offering, then we kind of just forget about them. Okay, this is an ongoing ministry. Because he says, thou doest well whatever thou doest for the brethren. And the verb he uses is a present tense. Something that you continue to do. All right? Um, Now, we're going to take a passage in Philippians. And I know Pastor um, really clearly developed this text this morning, but I'd like to highlight one or two things that he forgot. Don't tell him that, all right? But (laughs) Philippians chapter 4. You know, there's not much to add after after pastor preaches on a passage. You know that, right? I mean, he just brings out about everything there is. But there's one or two things here that we still can highlight. Notice in Philippians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. He says, "Now, ye Philippians, know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again into my necessity." Um, one or two things that Pastor didn't point out this morning that are, I think are interesting for this is that when he says that you you sent help to me in, in uh, Thessalonica, if you recall, after Paul ministered in the city of Philippi and was put in prison and then released, the next place he went was Thessalonica. And he wasn't there very long. He was only there a short time before he got chased out of that city. But in the short time he was there, these young believers in the city of Philippi, this new church that had just been started, okay, they're just new converts, were so moved by Paul's ministry. And obviously they they were thankful. They were saved because of him coming and paying a big price for them to hear the gospel. They were so moved by that They're like, you know what, this guy Paul, I mean, it's incredible what he's doing. And he's all by himself. Well, he had had a couple of co-workers, but he, he really needs some help, some encouragement. And the church of Philippi, this young church, decided to send him a love gift while he was still in Thessalonica. So just a short time after he left them. And it says even they did it several times. Now, the other interesting thing is when Paul writes this letter to the Philippians here, this is about 10 years later. And like Pastor pointed out this morning, there, he's thanking, part of this letter is him thanking them for yet another gift that they were sending to him 10 years later. That this church entered into a partnership with Paul that lasted for at least this 10-year period. That's what he says in verse number 15 when he says, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but she only. And as Pastor was pointing out, that word communicated as a fellowship or partnership. You entered into a partnership with me, 10 years ago that you started when you were just a young church and here over 10 years later you're still continuing to encourage me and help me and support me in the ministry. That's faithfulness. Year after year seeking to continue to contribute to these missionaries' works wherever they are throughout the world to help them to be able to continue their ministry without hindrance. So no limitations in time, uh, no limitations in who we would support, because in John, he says, you do faithfully whatever you do to the brethren and to strangers. That's an interesting statement there. But the idea was that for some of these people passing through their church, some of them were people they knew or were associated with. But there were others that were coming through that that they didn't have any personal acquaintance with. There were times where these itinerant preachers would come through, and they had never been to that church before. And so the church didn't know them personally. Maybe they had heard of them and so forth. They came maybe with recommendation, but they didn't know them personally. And Paul said, it doesn't matter whether it's a personal friend of yours, somebody that you've known in the past. Uh, If it's a faithful minister of the gospel that's coming through your church, through your town, then you ought to help them and support them along their way. So no limitation as to who we would take on for support. And then no limitation in what we do for them. He says, whatsoever thou doest, For the brethren. Whatsoever. And so this work or the support. That we contribute to these missionaries. Can take many forms. Not just financial. Financial is a part of it. But it's not the only part. And maybe it's not even the most important part. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. So first of all. The nature of this work. okay, It demands faithfulness. It's looking at the long term. This is a long term commitment. When we seek to help these missionaries. Secondly. The motivation of this work. What would cause a group of people to make a commitment, a long-term commitment, to help financially and in many other ways these people who we don't necessarily even know personally? I mean, we've gotten to know them a little bit when they came to visit our church, but we still don't know them that well. What would motivate anybody to do that? And John makes it very clear. This is a work that must be done out of love. Go back to John, Third John. He says in verse six, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after godly sort, thou shalt do well. They bear witness of thy charity, your love. The word that's used here is the word agape, love. And so this love that should motivate us to participate in supporting our missionaries, this love, this implies sacrificial love for the brethren. Now, why does it imply sacrificial love? Because agape love is based on the idea of sacrifice, right? Every time you find that, or not every time, but often when you find the word agape used in the Bible, the idea of giving or sacrificing is right with it. For God so loved the world that he gave, right? And all through the scriptures we find that. And so for Paul to say this is a demonstration of your love, your agape love, it's because it's the idea that there has been a sacrifice that was made or that's being made by these Christians on behalf of these missionaries. And so he says, bring them forward on their journey with this sacrificial love. Now, that's interesting, that phrase, bring them forward on their journey, that, the whole phrase, actually just translates one word in the Greek text. In the Greek text, it's the word propempo. And it was a word that was used back in the day in Bible times. It was a word that was used commonly to express support given to soldiers, So if you remember back in the day, a Roman soldier, um, you know, they were in charge, they were in control of Israel. They could enter into a home and expect that if they needed some food, if they needed lodging for the night, if they needed uh, help with transportation, that that family would contribute uh, and give willingly to help those soldiers. This word was used in that way, to help these soldiers on their way. Paul uses that word or borrows that word to put it into the missionary context, and it couldn't have been better chosen, right? As these missionaries are indeed soldiers of the Lord who are out there on the battle line, the front line, doing God's battles. And so he says, we need to bring them forward on their journey, just like they used to do for the soldiers back in the day. And so whether it's housing that they need, whether it's food, whether it's money, whether it's transportation, um, again, it is our responsibility to bring them forward on their journey. And that can take, again, all kinds of different forms. As we were, uh, as we served as as former missionaries, um, we were um, uh, overwhelmed. There's no other word. Uh, we were overwhelmed uh, by what churches would do uh, for missionaries, and, and the the not just the creativity, but the again the sacrifice, the generosity of so many Christians. Uh, for example, there's a church, actually it's, it's not far from here, it's in Burnville, um, there's a church that receives used cars, so I think it's primarily Christians, but maybe other people donate used cars to this particular church, this ministry, they, um, they, they fix the cars up, they service them, and then they make them available to missionaries fantastic. And so a couple of times when we came back on furlough, we were able to get a car just for the short time we were here through that ministry because some church took to heart to help missionaries in that way. There were some churches that would have um, missionary closets I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Okay, It's actually fairly common. There were quite a few churches that had that. They would, they'd have a, a storage room designated for the missionaries, and they would stock it with all kinds of items. And so there would be clothes in there for the kids, uh, sometimes toys, but there would be food items, um, just a whole host of things that missionaries could use while they were traveling or while they were staying here in the States. And you know, most of their belongings are back in their field of service. And the idea was the missionaries, they were visiting the church. They could walk into that storage room, that missionary closet, and whatever was there, basically, they could just, you know, help themselves. It was fantastic. Um, One church we went to in particular, maybe a couple of churches that did this, but there's one in particular. I don't know if it was a pastor's idea or who came up with the idea, but this one church, every time we went and would would speak there and, and minister there, before, during, and after the service, people would come up to us, and they would either hand us, in our, put in our hand a, a card, uh, or they would stick it in our pocket, or they'd put it on the top of our Bible. And uh, But by the time we left, there would be a, a stack of six or eight or ten or twelve cards. And in each card, the people would have written just a, a word of encouragement, um, um, their promise that they were praying for us. Uh, Almost always there would be a $10 bill or a $5 bill or whatever in there. And, and we would leave that church, I mean, just feeling this expression of, of love. Um, people we didn't know, you know, uh, we were strangers to them. But, um, but they showed God's love to us. And, um, and it was a tremendous encouragement. Um, there's something else. When it talks about bringing them forward on their journey... There's something else in Scripture, and maybe you've ever took notice of this, but turn to the book of Acts, chapter 21. And uh, this is really interesting. This is something, actually, that maybe some uh, adopt-a-missionary groups here might want to consider, really. But look at uh, Acts, chapter 21, what this one church did uh, for Paul and his, and his team. In Acts 21, starting in verse 3, we read, uh, Now, when we had discovered Cyprus, we left her on the left hand and sailed into Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unlade her burden. And finding disciples, we tarried there seven days, who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. And when we had accomplished those days, we departed and went on our way. And they all brought us on our way with their wives and children till we were out of the city. And we kneeled down on the shore and prayed. And when we had taken our leave, one of another, we took ship and they returned home again. Wow. So this one church that Paul and his team, they're just passing through, okay, on their way to Jerusalem. They don't even stay and minister for a long time, but they're kind of passing through. But this one church just really wants to be an encouragement. And so after Paul finished ministering in that city, in that church, and he's ready to leave and get back on the boat, the people from the church go with him down to the docks, they accompanied him all the way. I don't know how, how long of a distance it was, but whatever it was, they, they joined him on this journey down to, the, down to the docks. And once they get there, they get down on their knees and they pray together with him and they pray over him and they pray for him before he leaves. And then they say goodbye and head back home. I thought, wow, that is fantastic. What a tremendous idea. What a, can you imagine the encouragement for any missionary? if when they're getting ready to leave here to fly out of I don't know what airport to go back to the mission field or they're getting ready to go get on a train and head off to some other you know, part of the country to minister, if there was actually a group of folks from our church or again maybe one of the adopted missionary groups that say, hey, we're going to meet you down at the train station or we're going to meet you at the airport and we're going to have a word of prayer with you and just encourage you on the way out of here. Wow. What a statement that would be. But as we pointed out, all of this implies sacrificial love. To do any of those things takes time, takes thought, takes effort. And so if we're going to show that, demonstrate that kind of love to missionaries, it means a sacrifice on our part. It is agape love. But it also requires sincere love for God. And I'll explain that, what I mean by that, okay? But he says in verse number, let's go back to, lost my page. Let's go back to Third John. And he says here in verse number six, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. He says, You're going to bring them forward after a godly sort. And again, the, the phrase here has the idea as unto God. You're going to do this as unto God. You're going to do this in a manner worthy of God. That's a powerful statement. Okay, what you're doing for these missionaries, John says, you need to do it as unto God. Why? Why does he emphasize that aspect of it? Well, he goes on and explains verse verse number seven, because that for his name's sake, they went forth taking nothing of the Gentiles. So what these missionaries were doing is they would go out to preach the gospel in whatever you know, foreign lands they were without asking or receiving anything from the indigenous people where they were ministering. And so they were serving there without any support or income. And so John's saying, reminding these Christians, listen, they're not receiving anything from the Gentiles, so it's up to us to support them adequately so they can give themselves wholly to the, to the gospel ministry and do it freely. In fact, it's the same thing that Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We won't read the text here tonight. But in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul lays out his philosophy of ministry. And he said, this is what I always do. He said, I'll go to those Gentiles and never ask a dime from them. And that's really important, and any missionary could attest that, okay? The Fawn Millers could say it as well. We don't want to ever give the impression when we go to Puerto Rico, to France, or wherever it might be, we don't want to give the impression that we're there to profit off of those people, that we're there to gain some, to have some monetary gain from them. And so we always made it very clear to the folks there that as we served in France, and as we, you know, as churches were started and we ministered in the churches, we made it very clear we do not want to receive anything from this church because we don't want to ever want it to be said that you know the 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 foxes came or or the the churches in america sent these people here so they could get our money and so just like paul says in first Corinthians 9 i want to be able to preach the gospel freely and then he says so therefore even though it's my right to live of the gospel he says i've foregone that right and so then john says that's why we should be helping these guys Okay, because they're foregoing their right to be supported of the gospel ministry because they're going to you know, unsaved areas, and it's up to us to give them that support. But there's another factor here, too, when he says, as unto God. I think this is really important. As we give, as we support these missionaries, as we sacrifice to help these missionaries, he says we need to do it as unto God, not as unto that missionary. What does that mean? If what we do, we do for a particular missionary. Listen, dear friends, missionaries are people. They are sinners, and they will disappoint. And so what you do, you're doing for a particular missionary because you really like him, because you're really excited for what he's doing, and then that missionary falls into sin. That missionary leaves the mission field. It would be easy, tempting to say, well, what's the point of giving? After all that we did for that missionary, look, they left the field. What a waste. You know what? It was really striking to us how many missionaries that we knew of in France and in other countries, I'm sure Brother Farmer could attest as well, how many missionaries didn't survive one term on the field? After all that took place for them to get there, all the investment and all the help from churches, there's a, a large percentage of mission, a surprising percentage of missionaries who don't even last one term. And so if we give, even sacrificially, because of, you know, what we think of one particular missionary, we're going to be set up for a disappointment, or could be set up. Even as a young church in France, we had taken on the support of a, a young French pastor uh, who definitely needed help and support, and... Um, And we really encouraged the church to give, but we explained to them that we're not, this isn't giving to this guy, it's giving to the Lord. And uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, after our church supported him for several years, this young man, uh, I don't know what happened actually, but fell into great discouragement, um, sin, uh, left the ministry completely. I mean, it was a real blow to our church, our little fledgling church, you know, trying to help this one ministry. But our people understood, no, we weren't giving to him, we were giving to the Lord. You see the difference there, right? It's a huge difference. So, the nature of this work, faithfulness. The motivation of this work, love. Finally, the reward for this work. The reward for this work. It is a work that is blessed of God. Verse number 8, John says, We therefore ought to receive such, we ought to do it, we're debtors to do this. This is our obligation. This is our responsibility. But he says that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. So the first reward that we receive is being fellow helpers to the truth. That is, again, like Paul says to the Philippians, we, we become partners. You became partners with me in this ministry. Now, dear friend, this, that's a, this is a powerful phrase here. Being a fellow helper to the truth that's being preached by those missionaries in the different different, uh, fields of service where they're located. That means that when you do work for those missionaries, now, that working, it can take many forms, right? Every time you bow your head and pray for those missionaries, that's work. That's probably the most important work of all of them. When you take time to pray for those missionaries, when you take time to sit down and write a letter of encouragement, a note or write an email, send off an email of encouragement to those missionaries. That takes work. That takes time. Every time that you open your home to them, they're back here visiting, and you, you volunteer, you fill out one of the cards and say, hey, I'd love to have one of these missionaries in my home for a meal, or I can house them if they need it, or whatever. That takes work. Whatever the form of work is that you do, he says, "In so doing, you become partners with those missionaries. You become personally associated with their work. You become a fellow helper to the truth." And so while it's true that we cannot all go to the mission field, we can all we can all be partners in one way or another with the missionaries that this church sends out, every single one of us young person or older person, whether you've got means or you don't have means. We even had uh, families, uh, individual families who would adopt us as like their missionary family. Maybe their church supported us as a whole, but then once in a while there would be a particular family that I, I, we don't know why. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know why. Um, you know, I've got to say this. As former missionaries, we saw the very best of Christianity. Honestly, we saw the very best of Christians who just poured out love and encouragement on us as their missionaries. It was, it was overwhelming. And so sometimes there would be a family that would, like, adopt us, and they would specifically um, seek to, to encourage us. They would remember our kids' birthdays. And so, like, every time one of our kids had a birthday, one of these families would send a birthday card. There would always be, like, a little gift or maybe a, you know, a dollar bill or something in there for the, for the child. And it was really special for our kids to receive that People, they didn't even know. Sometimes we didn't know them. But they would adopt us, and many of those families became very dear friends, became lifelong friends. But they were truly partners with us in every sense of the word. They were fellow helpers to the truth, like John says here. And so they receive the same reward. You know what John, Jesus says in Matthew 10? He says, The one who receives a prophet, one who speaks God's word, the one who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet receives the reward of a prophet. When you take a missionary into your home to house them, to feed them, to encourage them, to help them on their way, the Bible, Jesus says, you're going to receive the same reward that they do. When you get down on your knees and pray for these dear missionaries and ask God to protect them and empower them and you pray for the specific requests that they share in their letters, you are every bit a partner with them. And Jesus says you're going to receive the same reward as they do. That's in fact what Paul is referring to in Philippians. And Pastor was talking about it this morning. The reward is being fellow helpers to the truth. But the reward is also having fruit put to your account. Let's look at that passage in Philippians again. Philippians 4 verses 17 and 18. I'm not going to belabor the point. Pastor talked about it. But look at this. Philippians 4. Philippians 4. 17 and 18, Paul says, listen, I'm not, talking, I'm not thanking you for this gift because I'm seeking to get another gift from you, okay? So he says in verse 17, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. So Paul says, when you sought to Help and contribute to my ministry by so doing, you're becoming partners with me. And by becoming partners with me, the fruit that is being born out of this ministry is being placed on your account as well as mine. Now, try to imagine that, okay? So, the fruit that accompanies the ministry of a missionary becomes your fruit as well. The souls want to Christ through a particular minister, a missionary's. Uh, ministry and outreach those souls are put on our account as if we were there alongside the missionary witnessing with him which we were in a sense we were praying we were even praying specifically for people they told us to pray for that they've been witnessing to and so paul commended them with that john commends them with that he says you do well what you do in receiving the missionaries that way Paul says, you do well. This is pleasing to God what you're doing. He says, but know that you are going to receive a reward for that. Now, can you imagine? I mean, honestly, do try to imagine what a glorious day it is going to be when we step into heaven and meet in person those people who have been won to Christ through the missionaries that this church supported and many people who, who we prayed for by name and we get to meet them in heaven believers from Brazil and Thailand and some place called Kyrgyzstan <laughs> and Georgia and Tanzania I mean can you imagine that In whose salvation we had a part. And Paul and John both say the same thing. A part just as important as the missionaries who went. So while it's absolutely needful that some people go. It is just as necessary that those who stay. Provide the support needed. For those who have gone. And the role we play is every bit as important. And dear friends I'll tell you what. We could not have ministered in France. The years that we did. Without people supporting us we wouldn't even been allowed in france without the financial and other support that we received they wouldn't have allowed us in the country even but our ministry never would have had any fruit i'm convinced of it if people back home weren't praying and if people weren't seeking to help and support us and encourage us not to mention those who came on short-term trips we were so blessed people that came from the different churches we supported, some that came from Bible colleges, college students that came over and were such a blessing, such a help. I mean, the work that was accomplished in France, I mean, I feel like we had a small part because there were so many people involved and every one of them had a a vital role in what took place. So, to wrap this all up, God calls some to go while others are called to stay. But not to stay and twiddle your thumbs. (laughs) And not to stay just for your own comfort and pleasure. But to stay and hold the lifeline for those who are on the front lines. And that's what it is, dear friends. We are holding the lifeline of all these missionary families around this auditorium. And that's why John says, you do faithfully what you do for the brethren. So may, may we be faithful partners for our missionaries, faithfully holding the lifeline, which allows them to continue to serve in the places where God has led them. May we be proud to wear the title of fellow helpers to the truth. Let us continue to work faithfully, at supporting the missionaries that God has placed in connection with our body.